This is the message given by Pastor James Lim during the morning worship service at Faith Presbyterian Church, Long Beach, California, for August 13, 2023. The title of the message is Finding Contentment in Christ. Good morning. It is always uh, a privilege and an honor for me to stand before you and open God's Word. Um, and to proclaim it this morning. We continue, uh, we're nearing the end of, of the book of Philippians, and we continue. We have a, a few more messages. Uh, if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 4, if you don't have a Bible or you have a different translation, you can also follow along in the bulletin or the slide behind me. He's coming... Uh, the, the normal pattern for Paul's letters is uh, a greeting and then kind of some references to things that are going on with himself or, or what he thinks is going on in the church. And then there's usually more, a the, more theological exposition of the gospel unique to their circumstance. Uh, it speaks to us in our circumstances as well. And then towards the end, the second, the latter half of letter of the letters, he normally applies it and, and digs down deeper into our lives with those theological truths and, and, and lays out the implications and the applications for those, those gospel truths. And then at the very end, he just gets very, very practical and he names names and greets people and, and it just shows the humanness of Paul as he writes this letter. It just shows the, the kind of everydayness, the, the, uh, the love that a shepherd, a pastor, an apostle has for his sheep. He loves them in the Lord and, and how he's been blessed by them and how they bless him. And we see that uh, here in, in this last section, uh, entreating Yodia and Syntyche in verse 2, and then, talking about rejoicing in the Lord and, and thanking them for, uh, for his, their ministry to him. And we see it continue here now in verse 10 to 13. But before we hear God's word, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you for your word that is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Father, would you um, light the way uh, in our hearts and in our lives Help us to realize the truths that we are about to depart, uh, depart to, to uh, study and dive into. And we pray, Father, that as we do so, we would hang on every word that, that, um, that proceeds from your mouth. Because we don't live by bread alone, but, but we live by your word. Lord, would you bless me as I exposit it and preach it and apply it. And it would be received then. Uh, with faith by grace. Lord, give me your Holy Spirit that uh, I can lift up high the cross of Christ and you would draw everyone unto him. Bless us this morning, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Hear now then the reading of God's holy word, beginning in verse 10. I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you have revived your concern for me. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am 
I've, for I've learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The grass withers and the flower fade, but the word of our God stands forever. May he add his blessing to it this morning. One of my favorite essays on the Christian life, uh, it's it actually a printed sermon, was written by a, an old Puritan named Jeremiah Burroughs. And the sermon was entitled, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. Uh, and if you haven't re- read it, I uh, highly recommend it. I think if you just type in Jeremiah Burroughs and, and the rare jewel of Christian contentment, uh, it's, um, uh, it, it has no copyright, so you can just download it off the web or you can buy a Banner of Truth copy of it. But I highly recommend it because it's, it is a deep, searching, uh, applicational exposition of this passage. And so a lot of what I take is not original, uh, but I, I am, along with Burroughs and just digging into this passage, the Lord has really uh, worked this message into my life and I hope he will work it into your life. And there, you know, Burroughs, Burroughs highlights what Christian contentment is, why we are discontent, and how we can find contentment in Christ. And Burroughs defines Christian contentment this way. He says, it is that sweet, inward, quiet, gracious frame of spirit which freely submits to and delights in God's wise and fatherly disposal in every condition. It's being satisfied, in other words, with everything God gives you, no matter what the circumstances may be. It's knowing that whatever God has planned for you is exactly what is best for you. It may not be what you want at first, but when you realize how much better God's plan is for you, then you will be content. As we continue towards the end here in Philippians, Paul talks about this idea of Christian contentment. That even though he is suffering horribly under Roman imprisonment, He says that he is content. I am to be content. I am content. I've learned contentment. Right? This is, he says, I've learned the secret of contentment. And now he gives that secret to us. Uh, it's, It's not really a secret, but it's something that needs to be revealed because it's not something that comes naturally to us. And even though it is a rare jewel, every Christian ought to have it. So how can we have this secret to uh, Christian contentment that Paul uh, so aptly describes? How can we have contentment in a world of discontent? That's what I want us to look at this morning. First, Christian contentment is grounded and begins with the joy of the Lord. Look at verse 1. It's grounded in the gratitude uh, towards the Lord, for the Lord, from the Lord, in the Lord, as well as uh, rejoicing uh, in the Lord because of 
the concern that other people have for Paul. Look at what he says there. I rejoice in the Lord greatly. Christian contentment begins with recognizing what God is, who he is, and what he has already done for us in our lives. It has to begin with God and what he's done for you. What he's given you in his grace, in his mercy, and his love. This is why we struggle with discontentment in our lives. Right? This is why some of, so many of us uh, uh, struggle with discontentment. Because we simply forget to rejoice in the Lord. We forget to give thanks for what he's already given to us. In the past, what we have in the present. And as we looked earlier in chapter 4, to pray with thanksgiving in the midst of our anxieties to be content, so that we might be content in the future. And the reason is because we don't rejoice in the Lord in who he is. We don't rejoice in his providence. We don't rejoice in his goodness in our lives. We don't rejoice in the gifts that he's already given us. All we do is we, we grumble with what we don't have. See, discontent is a state of mind and of heart. It's the heart that grumbles about what we didn't get and how much more we deserve and how much other th- how how our lives could be so much better if only we had this or that. You name it. Fill in the blank. If you if you if your heart and your mind think in that way, of course you're going to be discontent. Discontentment is the sin of not trusting that God's plan is better than yours. That whatever I have, he has given it to me. And whatever I don't have, maybe he's keeping it from me for my benefit. Right? The the saying goes, be careful what you ask for because you just might get it. And that's not a good thing. God knows everything. He's omniscient, all-wise, all-powerful, good. And he loves you. And like a good father, he's going to give you what you need as well as what's good for you. Not everything that you want. Because sometimes, you know, what we want is not good for us. Or what we, we, are, we are going after something that we want and we have it for a time and, it, and it's definitely not good for us. And so sometimes the Lord takes it from us because we we're unwilling to part with it. Uh, one of the ways that I think uh, we connect prayer in the earlier sections of Philippians and what we have here is is the, the connection of prayer and contentment is asking God to give us what we would have asked for if we knew everything that God knows. Right? It, how many of us asked for something when we were ignorant or immature or we didn't know any better and we asked for things, right? And we didn't get them. And we, you know, and it broke our hearts and you know, we had to struggle and we had to move on. But 20 years later, you look back and you're like, oh, I'm so glad that 
that, that the Lord didn't answer that prayer. He answered it in, in such a better way than I would have ever expected or hoped for. And you're thankful. It's taking that perspective uh, of, the, of the future and just applying it to your perspective now. That God knows what you need. And so it, when you don't have what you think you need, you know, maybe that's God, maybe God is helping you to shape you to ask for at some point to be content in your circumstances and then ask for what he's going to give you, right? To, to grow in your alignment with the will of God in your life so that instead of asking what you want that may not be what God wants for you, to align your will with God so that you ask for what God wants for you and he will give it to you. Because it's the best thing for you. But discontentment comes when we don't trust the Lord. And we just want what we want and not what God wants for us. And so we're going to be restless. We're going to be unfulfilled, unsatisfied, discontent. Right? The first sin of Adam and Eve can be described as the sin of discontentment. Right? You have you can take the fruit of any tree in the Garden of Eden except this one. And that's the one that they had to bite into when Satan tempted them. They were discontent with all the other trees and they said, I got to have this one. And it explains the, the sin of discontentment ever since. And it even explains the, the, sin, of, the sin of discontentment in, in our lives today. Let me point out two things here. Paul, first Paul is thankful for the concern of God's people. We, not, we may not be able to make ends meet. You know, sometimes we struggle, you know, to put food on the table or pay our rent. But we have a church family that cares about us and won't let us go hungry or homeless. At least that's the ideal. And we do our best. We're not perfect. But we can rejoice in the Lord for what he gives us through the concern of God's people. And so, friends, brothers, if, if maybe you're, if you're um, struggling a little bit with, with uh, money or, or needs, you know, earthly material needs that, that, that you definitely need, come to the church. We, we have a concern for you. We want to help fulfill that need as agents of God's providence and of his care for you. So that then you can rejoice in the Lord as you find your contentment in him and through him. Secondly, he sees their concern and care for him in the context of the Lord's plan. That everything we receive is from God's loving care and providence. And so it just makes us to stop and think about all the good things. All the wonderful things in which you find joy in. It's from the Lord. And so if we rejoice in what the Lord has given to us, then we're, we're, then the heart, then we're on that trajectory to having a heart of contentment rather than discontentment. Think about all the blessings, your family, your friends, your job, your wealth, the clothes on your back, this church. Everything comes from the Lord, and so we must then rejoice in the Lord. 
See, this is the constant refrain of the book of Philippians over and over again in in chapter 3 and and 4 and then in this verse. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. Why? Because everything you have, you've received from the Lord. So why not rejoice in it? Every good and perfect gift, James says, is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there is no variation or shadow of change. You are halfway to a heart filled with contentment when you realize that everything you have is a gift from the Lord. Secondly, let's move on. Secondly, Christian contentment is not dependent on our circumstances. It's grounded in joy, and, it's not, and, and so it's not grounded then in our circumstances. It's separate from our circumstances. It's independent of our circumstances. Look at verse 2, uh, sorry, verse 11. Paul goes on to say that though he may not have needs, he is not needy, right? In other words, he is content with his circumstances, but he is, doesn't find his contentment in them. He Look at what he says there. Not that I am speaking of being in need, right? And, and if Paul more than anyone else, was in need. I mean, he was being imprisoned uh, by the Roman, Roman Praetorian Guard. He is under house arrest. Uh, maybe he wasn't being well-fed. Maybe his clothes were beginning to fray and, and are tattered. Uh, he, maybe he's unable to uh, truly rest in his imprisonment. But through it all, look at what he goes on to say. For I have learned in whatever situation, right, in whatever circumstance, whatever it may be, he says, I am to be content. This means two things. First, his contentment in life is not based on his circumstances. It's beyond, above, separate, outside of them. It's like laying up treasures for himself in heaven. See, Paul is finding his contentment not in his earthly circumstances that can change, like the weather, but in a God who never changes. Secondly, his contentment in life isn't based on comparing his life with someone else's life. See, comparison is the killer of contentment. This is a pitfall for all of us. When God gives us a good gift, right, when we're thankful for it and we, we know we need it and he gives it to us, we, are, we're, we rejoice in it. But when we look to the left and to the right and we see what other people receive from the Lord and what we didn't receive, that they received, we didn't know that we were supposed to be discontent with what God gives us. And that, that's what happens when we compare ourselves, with God, when we compare God's providence in our lives with God's providence in someone else's life. Maybe they need something different, right? Because God made them differently. Their circumstances are different. Their, their personalities are different. But God knows you, and he gives you exactly what's best for you. But yet we're always looking. We're like, oh, you know, they have a bigger house my house, you, you guys know this. You, you thought your house was huge until you saw a bigger house, and then your house 
seemed so much smaller. The car that you bought was new, brand spanking new, and then you see your, your friend's car that's so much nicer. It drives so much better. It's shinier. And then all of a sudden, you know, the car that you loved is just not so great, and you wish you had a better model. I can't tell you how many times um, I bought, I've bought a, a piece of elect, uh, an electronic device, you know, and, 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 and then two months later comes a, a new version of it, and I, I'm just like, I have, I have the obsolete version. You know, I, I want to trade it in. I mean, our, the consumer capitalistic culture in which we live in is built on discontentment. Everything in our culture is designed to make you feel discontent so you'll buy something new. You feel like you need more. And it's a spiritual condition. God calls us to tie our contentment not to our changing circumstances, but to his unchanging character, love, and grace. Everything may change, but he will not. Let me read to you a poem by Jason Lehman uh, that captures the spirit, of, the spirit of contentment so well. It's entitled Present Tense. And, 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 and see if it resonates with you. It was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors, it was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool, dry air, it was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season, it was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and the respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated, I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit, I was retired, but it was middle age I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, but I never got what I wanted. Friends, brothers and sisters, where does your contentment in life lie? What do you think you need in order to be content? Do you need more money? Do you need a better house, a better car, more friends? Are you looking for contentment in your circumstances rather than in God or in Christ? Thirdly, Christian contentment is also something that's not only grounded in gratitude and not in our circumstances, but it is something that we have to learn in the ups and downs of our lives. It doesn't come naturally to us, right? It's not like we're born with a heart heart of contentment. It's something that we have to learn. We have to struggle. We have to experience in order to gain uh, this idea of contentment. Look at verse 11 and 2. He says, 11 and 12, he says, for I have Learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low and how to be abound. 
In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. See, it has to be learned. See, Paul had to learn to rejoice in the Lord and not tie it to his circumstances. He had to learn to be content uh, through his circumstances, but outside his circumstances at the same time. He had to learn to be content when he was humbled and brought low, when he was abounding and everything seemed to be going his way. This is important because it speaks to the role of pride and humility in the Christian life and how it's tied to our Christian contentment. Like comparison, pride kills contentment while humility grows contentment. This is how Paul learned contentment in good and bad times, when he was humbled and when he was tempted toward pride. You see, when you... When you are prideful with respect to your Christian life, what's going to happen is you're going to be discontent because you think you deserve more. God, I've been more faithful. I've done all these things for you. I've been good. I've done everything that you've asked me to do, but my life is not the way I want it to be. Where's my blessing? But where humility Humility takes the gospel and God's grace and our our fallen condition and, and the grace by which he saved us and loved us and adopted us and is keeping us. We realize that, you know what, we don't deserve any good thing from God. And yet he gives us every good thing. We have every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We have a roof over our heads. Some are more secure than others, but it's a roof. Food on the table, clothes on our backs. We have everything that we need for for today. Because it's it's from the Lord. And uh, and he, let me let me put it a little bit more starkly. If God has saved us by grace when we deserved nothing but condemnation, eternal hell, death, and wrath. Even the difficulties that we experience is a mercy from the Lord. It may not feel like it at the time, but he loves us, and he gives us everything, including the, the, the suffering in our lives, to shape us and to teach us how precious we are to him. It is understanding that God's unchanging love for us in Christ transcends our circumstances. And therefore, we can, we're so humbled in Christ that everything and anything that God gives to us, we are happy to receive because we know that God is wise and good and, and, uh, and we trust him. We learn contentment in God's unchanging love through every changing circumstance. James Petty says this, God wants you to be content. True contentment is usually learned on the down cycle, in loss, deprivation, and financial need. As your own dreams of financial security are shaken by your circumstances, you have the opportunity to turn from trusting and hoping in material things 
to trusting and hoping in God. This might not seem so great right now, but think about it. If your contentment is based on what you have or own, it can be easily lost. But contentment based on your relationship with God is on the unshakable ground of God's unfailing love. And how do we come to learn about God's unchanging love? We learn it in the gospel. Christian contentment flows from the gospel through our union with Christ and the strength that he gives. Paul says in verse 12 that in any and every circumstance, he has learned the secret of contentment. And this has the idea of something um, that, that, that people aren't readily, they don't readily know and they need to be told. And so he's sharing then the secret of Christian contentment here. And what is it? Look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Maybe a better translation is that I can do all things in him who strengthens me. Now, a lot of folks take this one verse and they take it out of its context and they try to apply to all kinds of things that it shouldn't apply to, right? Some use it to refer to being able to do anything and everything that we want and Christ will just kind of turn us into superheroes and we can do them, right? I can run a marathon in two hours flat. I can jump six feet uh, higher than LeBron James because I can do all things through him who strengthens me, right? We, we, turn, we turn what is normally uh, highly unlikely and probably impossible, and we, and we use this verse to justify that God is going to do it for me. And uh, that's not the way it's supposed to be applied, right? Maybe a better way to see this is that some of our translations uh, um, put it this way. Paul says, I can do all these things. And what are these things? Everything he's talked about from verse 10 uh, on. I can do all these things. What things? Contentment in every circumstance. Through, right? And, and, and not through, but in him. And who is he referring to? Christ, who strengthens me. Contentment is something that we have to learn in the crucible of life. Uh, One of the ways that we're going to learn contentment sometimes, and this is the hard way, is that sometimes we have to lose everything in order to realize we were never in control, that we really never possessed them in the first place, and we have no choice but to look to Christ as the anchor for our souls, the anchor for our contentment in this life, because we can't put our hope in anything else. And friends, brothers, sisters, can I just encourage you to prepare for that before you lose everything, so that you won't, your heart won't break when everything you lose everything, and then all, and then you realize. You need to find contentment in Christ. Find contentment in Christ now so that when you, if and when you lose those things that you had once put your hope in, you can let them go. They won't devastate you when they're gone. That you realize your contentment is in Christ through the good times and through the bad times.
Paul also shares the power, not just the the secret, but the power of Christian contentment, which comes through Christ, in Christ, who strengthens him. Everything we have in the Christian life comes from the life we have in Christ. And he is the vine and we are the branches. And the life-giving power of his life flows into us from the root to the branches. And so apart from him, we have nothing, we can do nothing. And what this means then is contentment isn't something that we can conjure up in our own strength, but something that Christ has to give to us. It's like getting plugged into him like a power grid so we are energized. So the power of his life flows into us. The power of his righteousness, his holiness, his life, his mercy, love and grace, his character, his compassion, everything including Christ's own contentment. He then is the person of contentment. Jesus lived a perfect life, content in everything that God had given to him and everything that God is. He learned contentment through suffering. Hebrews says that he was made perfect through suffering, Hebrews 2.10. That he was content in the Lord, even when Satan tempted him with all the kingdoms of the world, only if he would bow down to Satan. And and Jesus was content in everything that the Lord promised. And so it wasn't a temptation for him. He was content in any and all his circumstances, in plenty and in hunger, in abundance and in need, he went, and when he was brought low and, and when he abounded. See, he had everything stripped away from him when he bore our sins, took our shame, and experienced our discontent. Think about it. Jesus was stripped of everything. He hung on that cross naked, nailed, beaten, pierced. He wore a crown of thorns. His own friends, even his own family rejected him, his own people. And all he had was God. And when he bore our sins, God the Father whom he loved from from the foundation of the world turned his face away. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And he didn't succumb to discontentment. He was content in everything that he had to do for our salvation. At the cross, he bore the sins of our discontent so that we then might receive the power of his contentment. So that when Jesus asked, if it would be your will, let this cup pass from me three times, at the end of it all, Jesus, what did Jesus say? Not my will be done, but thy will be done. That is a confession of contentment. At the cross, he was brought low, so we might abound. He faced hunger so we might have plenty. He faced our dire need for righteousness and for forgiveness so that we might have the abundance of his love and of his grace.
And when Jesus cried out at the cross with his last breath, it is finished. God's wrath and God's love was satisfied in the sacrifice of his one and only beloved son. Why? So that we could be content in everything that Jesus is and has done for us. Do you see? He was satisfied. God was satisfied in Christ so that we would be content in him. This is the secret of contentment. Being content in Jesus. In everything that he is and everything that you receive from him. J.C. Ryle, and I'll close here, says this. Would I learn how to be contented and cheerful under all the cares and anxieties of life? What school shall I go to? How shall I attain this state of mind most easily? Shall I look at the sovereignty of God, the wisdom of God, the providence of God, the love of God? It is well to do so. But I have a better argument still. I will look at the cross of Christ. I feel that he who spared not his only begotten son, but delivered him up to die for me, will surely with him give me all things that I really need. He that endured that pain for my soul will surely not withhold from me anything that is really good. He that has done the greater things for me will doubtless do the lesser things also. He that gave his own blood to procure me a home will unquestionably supply me with all that is really profitable for me by the way. Ah, reader, there is no school for learning contentment than can be compared with the foot of the cross because that is where we learn contentment. Let's pray together. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you, Lord, for providing for all of our needs that we might be content. Forgive us for our discontentment and teach us what we need to learn at the foot of the cross that we might find our contentment in him. Bless us this day, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.